So you like the spot? Shoot. Location makes me no difference. If the money's right, I can park me a piggyback on a diving board. That's a 26-wheeler, son. This is the Vice of Miami podcast, where your hosts, Mark and Tim, review the iconic TV show Miami Vice. Set against the backdrop of Miami's vibrant nightlife and drug trade, Miami Vice followed detectives Sonny Crockett and Ricardo Tubbs and the entire OCB team as they battled the scourge of the mid and late 80s. With its unforgettable characters, stylish fashion, and epic soundtrack, Miami Vice captured the spirit of the times and left a lasting impact on popular culture. Join us as we dive deep into the world of Miami Vice and explore the show's enduring legacy. And welcome back, Vice fans, to the Vice of Miami podcast for show number 55. Tim and I are always glad that you're joining us, and we hope you enjoyed our last show covering Shadow in the Dark. And Tim, I can't remember any more, um, I don't want to say divisiveness, but split hairs on uh, people liking and not liking this uh, in our Instagram comments. It was very interesting to hear the comments on our social media. Right. Uh, It's just people like what they like. And I mean, as I said, when we were just going back and forth through text, that you, I, and our friend Marina were looking at this through different eyes, more as reviewers than as just somebody who's watching the episode Mm -hmm. like we did back in the eighties. So it is what it is. Exactly. Exactly. So anyways, as always sit back, relax, grab a beverage. I've got a sun tea again. Tim, what do you got? I don't have anything, Mark. Oh, okay. Then you don't have a beverage. (laughs) I don't have a beverage. (laughs) And anyways, enjoy the vice of Miami podcast covering season three, episode seven, El Viejo. Mark, this episode was written by Alan Moskowitz, directed by Aaron Lipstadt. The original air date was November 7th, 1986, and it is the 51st episode overall in a series. And our plot summary is Crockett and Tubbs find that the target of their latest case, a murderous Bolivian drug dealer, has also drawn the attention of a retired Texas Ranger. Right now, we're going to cover the guest stars and the co-stars. First up, as a guest star, we have Willie Nelson as Jake Pearson. Willie Nelson began his career writing songs covered by other artists, including Nightlife, sung by Ray Price, Crazy, sung by Patsy Cline, Pretty Paper, sung by Roy Orbison, and Hello Walls, sung by Farron Young. His first number one single himself, Blue Eyes Crying in the Rain, 
and later teamed up with fellow outlaw country singer Waylon Jennings for a partnership that lasted for many, many years. In addition to songwriting and performing, Willie is also an actor appearing in The Electric Horseman, Honeysuckle Rose, Thief, Where the Hell's That Gold, Duke's a Hazard, among many others. Nelson has been married four times, and he's got seven children by three of his ex-wives. And Mark, our only other guest star listed for this episode is Steve Buscemi as Rickles. Buscemi began as a firefighter with the New York Fire Department before beginning his acting career in 1985, making his debut in the movie The Way It Is, followed by appearances in Sleepwalk, Call Me, Vibes, King of New York, Mills Crossing, In the Soup, Reservoir Dogs, among many others. He has also appeared as a regular character in The Sopranos, The Equalizer, Homicide, Life on the Street, Boardwalk Empire, which was a great series, for which he was nominated for three Golden Globes, and he won one in 2011 and won Emmy for Best Actor. Buscemi married actress Jo Andres in 1987 until her death on January 13, 2019. They have one son, Lucian, and Steve Buscemi, if people don't remember when it when September 11th happened, he went down to ground zero, rejoined his old uh, station and unit, and went down there digging through the pile of rubble. So he gets a really great thumbs up for me for that. And as well, he did a HBO documentary about September 11th in the New York Fire Department and how they dealt with that. Yep. Very good class act all the way. Yes. And our co-stars, we have Andrew Castillo as Paco, Robert Hoechler as SRT Commander, and Anwar Zaydin as Mendez, and Fritz Bronner as Vince Wilson. And now some Miami Vice in the news. The latest acting role for Steve Buscemi will be as Reese, in Vacation Friends 2, which has a release date of August 25th of this year. All right, let's get right into discussion for episode 55 of our show, El Viejo. We start out here at OCB. And Castillo Stan and Vince Wilson from Broward County from Narcotic from Broward County Narcotics, I'm sorry, are going over a case that Wilson is down here to check on with somebody named Mendez, supposed to be a big drug dealer selling his wares. Switek seems intrigued about Wilson's mode of transportation once they go outside, which was a Peterbilt truck to haul some product back and forth. Uh, Switek also seems enthralled about this guy's snake boots. He says, when everything's all over and we help you out, Come back and we'll have a beer. So uh, we're assuming later on at the nighttime, Wilson and some other guy, which we never really find out his name. I don't think they're on a no, dock. No, did not. They're on a dock outside of Miami, waiting for another boat to pull up. On this boat that pulls up is Mendez, the big drug dealer. Uh, Wilson puts his boot on the on the boat to help Mendez out of the boat, and you see these nice snakeskin boots are pretty sharp and slick. So Mendez gets out. They're walking along the dock. There's a brief discussion with some other goons. This guy translates to Wilson that his boots are pretty nice, and he wants to know how he can afford them on a cop's salary. Boom. Already made pretty quick. 
one of the goons shoots Wilson. And then as they walk past him, uh, I think Mendez is the one that kicks him off the dock into the water. And then Tim, I noted this is one of the few times that we actually see blood from a shooting or anything like that. And typically when, you know, everyone's getting shot up and stuff like that, it's, you know, you don't see anything. It's dry. So right. I know this is one of the times we see a pool of blood. And another thing too is they never really explain how Mendez knew that Wilson was a cop. Right. Right. Other than just being pie dialed into the, into the scene, into mm-hmm. the drug, really deep into the drug trade. Right. The other thing I was confused on as well is, okay, he's at OCB with Vice. How come Vice wasn't with him, you know, as a backup or to see what's going on or given their, you know, their two cents into his, you know, Wilson's investigation or whatever. How come Vice wasn't with him? Exactly. Typically they are. Right. Because you're coming in, you're coming to somebody else's jurisdiction from Broward County. They know, they know the Miami Dade Mm -hmm. area. Pretty right. well, like you said, why wouldn't he right. ask for backup? When when the feds come in, you know, DEA, whatever, Vice is always with them doing, doing yep. whatever. All right. Two things upon returning to the scene, one being Zito is back and the other being the spider. We see Zito and Swiatek in their surveillance van cracking wise when Croc and Tubbs pull up in the spider. Croc and Tubbs had to make a stop at the vets because Elvis ate a six pack and yeah cut his gums on the plastic greens, and that was a pretty uh, entertaining back and forth. Then another car pulls up with two guys in, in it, and one of them being Steve Buscemi, who's called Rickles. And now we know where he got his inspiration for his Miami Vice garb in The Sopranos. Yes, uh, if you know what we're talking about in The Sopranos, when he got out of prison, the only thing he had mm-hmm. to wear was his Miami Vice garb from when he went into prison that they gave him back. There you go. So Rickles comes up to Crockett and Tubbs and says, only one gets to go inside to meet Mendez inside this museum. While Crockett is walking up to the museum with these two guys, a security guard walks up. Crockett says, I'll handle it and draws down on him, trying to just protect the security guard and his cover as well. While he's doing this, Willie Nelson, a.k.a. Pearson, pokes his head around the corner and Crockett tells him to beat it. Rickles, Crockett, the other goon, and the security guard walk in to see Mendez and his goons inside. Mendez seems to back down from whatever deal is about to go down. He takes his briefcase and runs, and then gunfire erupts, and the security guard is shot. Everyone gets away. Someone drops a briefcase. Crockett checks on a guard who is now a DOA. Crockett is visibly upset by this. And, And the only thing I got to say about all these extra guys, the goons, Tim, I prefer the hands-on touch you only get with hired goons. <laughs> we got a lot of goons in this episode, don't we? Yes, we do. So anyway, we're now at OCB. Uh, Crockett, Tubbs, and Castillo, they're giving a rundown of and going over a phone phone recording message that uh, obviously Crockett missed. And we're assuming he was out. That was sent onto the St. Vitus dance. Obviously, from Mendez, changing the plans that obviously Crockett didn't get about going to the gallery. Probably could have been something deep, but he missed it. So what happened, happened. They discussed uh, They discussed what the plan was supposed to be. Crockett was just simply going to go there, move some product as a mule, and get two keys for doing so. And Tubbs says essentially that it was only supposed to be introductions and surveillance until Mendez brought all of the product, and then they'd take him down. So this is essentially just routine for Vice. Not really known yet that it was tied with Wilson. Uh, Switek comes in with some pictures 
and more info on who's who. Castillo asks about the briefcase type, and Crockett says it was some sort of lizard or snakeskin. So Castillo tells uh, Switek, go see, go to customs, see if they nabbed anybody with anything close enough, and see if they have anybody else on this, and then go to property to get two keys of coke and hopefully a briefcase, and then reset the deal, uh, reset the deal on the same fight as stance. So get everything back into motion. Maybe Mendez won't know that the uh, briefcase was missing. And know. if you noticed, Sonny was very, he wasn't there, he's dissing, he's, it was really weighing heavily upon him about this security guard's death. And I thought for a moment that we were going to have a little bit of a repeat performance from Shadow in the Dark. Yeah, he was definitely distant for sure. He's, he wasn't connected to the case. It definitely uh, shook him up. The DEA guy from San Antonio who bought it two months ago was after the Bolivian. Is this the same guy? Maybe. Describe the briefcase. It was a green skin of some sort, like python or lizard. Swite tech, see if customs confiscated something we can substitute. Pick up two keys from property, take it over to the boat. Okay. Reset the deal with him. I want Mr. Mendez. I want the 50 keys. Well, what if we can't match the briefcase? Just stay on the boat that Mr. Mendez makes his move. Sonny. Come on. Yeah, Tubbs kind of had to wake him up. Hey, snap to it, guys. Snap to it, partner. We got work to do. So anyway, Pearson checks out the briefcase and takes the two keys of cocaine out because Pearson was the one, and we didn't know his name right away until he had stepped outside the pawn shop and you could see it on the ticket, we but for, he's we, the one. We, actually, forgot to, we forgot to state we're at uh, Pearson's hotel room, right? He's, right he's at some hotel room. We didn't know where it, we'll find out later where it was at. He takes the two keys out and then he fast forwards to the pawn shop. He's seen pawning off a gun for some cash. And it was a 1936 cold peacemakers, what he ended up pawning off. And you find out later what he does with this money. But now we're at the a nicer, swankier hotel, which was named the Excelsior. And a limo pulls up and some guy gets out. And now poolside with Gene and Trudy sunning themselves while having their glims on this guy. They have some drinks brought over by some old fat guys. And then Gina spots somebody. That somebody is Pearson who walks up to this guy, assuming he's one of Mendez's guys. And he was because I think he was the guy that originally grabbed the briefcase and then dropped it in the yep. in the shootout. He pulls out the briefcase that they're looking for, and Gina goes to call Crockett. Trudy keeps an eye on this guy. Pearson makes some sort of deal saying that this guy knows what he wants and to meet him in room 415. So basically the money that he when he sold the cold peacemaker, he took this money to pay for a day or a night or however long in this swanky Excelsior hotel. Right, right. He knows that he knows when we'll find out he knows everything, but he knows what went down and that this briefcase is a hot item. So he's going to make a deal and get what he wants. So uh, on the St. Vitus dance, we see Crockett and Tubbs and pretty much Crockett. I don't want to say he's complaining, but yeah, he's complaining. Yeah, he's bitching. Yeah, he's bitching about the dock boy isn't doing his work for the boat, picking up. Uh, the lines or straighten whatever. And it just goes to show that Crockett isn't focused in on what's at hand here. This, de- this drug deal and all this stuff. Tubbs tells him to pretty much sit this case out. But before Crockett could really respond, 
up walks Rickles and his goon. Here we go with the goons. Mm -hmm. Uh, Words are exchanged about the bum uh, museum deal and how he took off running. And Rickles says that the Bolivian is pretty much uh, very angry, so to speak, about missing two keys and his special briefcase. And Tubbs says, you know, they're going to make it good. And Rickles is going, you know, how are you going to get his briefcase? That's his briefcase. He wants it. Whatever. Briefcase is a briefcase, but whatever. While they're arguing about this, Tubbs Tubbs and Rickles, uh, Crockett takes a call from Gina at the hotel who says that they see the guy who's got the briefcase. So this changes Crockett's demeanor and pretty much tells Rickles, take a backstroke, get off the boat. So now we've got a quick scene back at uh, at the pool here. And the one Mendez goon is on the phone probably with Mendez, we think, saying that the old old man uh, Pearson, he's got the briefcase and then he's going to take care of it. Well, once the Bolivian gets stuck on an idea, like the fact that you cost him two keys and his favorite briefcase. Well, yeah, we're going to make that good. How are you going to handle the briefcase? Don't worry about it. We'll replace it. You just reset the meat. Replacement ain't going to get it. He wants his briefcase. So when the rare event that doesn't uh, walk itself onto your boat is where I'll be. You might want me to talk to the man. And what's the price tag on that conversation? Say uh, 30 large, 10 in front, five points a week on the rest. 30? Yeah. Sonny, remember that old man we saw waiting outside the museum last night? Well, he just showed up with a green briefcase. Want to come take a look? Absolutely. You place a high value on your time. Man's got to make a living, know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. Know what I like about you, Rickles? Not a damn thing. Backstroke. So now we're back at the Excelsior, and Pearson is about to get on the elevator when Trudy walks up and tries to sweet-talk him, being all touchy-feely, and... Basically, Pearson says that he wasn't born yesterday, grabs her arm, and takes the key that she just swiped from him. He departs in the elevator, the same hotel. We see Gina being essentially accosted by the two guys who were trying to give him the buy him the drinks, saying that they are aerobics inventors or something like that, wanting her and Trudy to be actresses in commercials. I, and now I, we are in... Ri- ri- Go ahead. I totally thought this was the cheesiest part of the episode. Yeah, yeah. Yes. We- we want you to be actresses. Okay, we haven't seen movies like that before. <laughs> so now we are in Rickle's room, which is very tackly decorated. Mark, you got any comments about that? Yes, this is even bad for Miami, in my opinion. The The colors were so muted, it was just uh, very ugly. Even for a swanky hotel, I would have expected that in, in Pearson's place, but this was just bleh. So the... Mendez Goon is welcomed to the room by Pearson and says he wants his boss to come and get the briefcase. The Goon says we're going to take it to him and pulls a gun. Pearson pulls out a billy club and whacks him over the head and and takes the Goon's gun from him and says he wants 10000 in cash and he tells him to beat it. After this, this Goon leaves, it appears that Pearson's having some sort of a heart attack. While this is happening... He has some sort of a flashback to some cops having a shootout with some Mexicans. When he more or less snaps out of it, Crockett and Tubbs walk around the corner on the floor of Pearson's room, where his room was at. He pulls a gun at them. They hide behind the wall, and then he falls down on the floor in obvious distress. Tubbs finds Pearson's nitro pills. Crockett says, beautiful, deal with a bad ticker. Tubbs administers a nitro pill. 
Now, what do you know about nitro, Mark, from your paramedic days? Under the tongue, you'll get a headache. Uh, well, so and if, so if, you, if you touch it, your skin's going to absorb yep. that and you may get a headache. So you'll get a headache too. One yes. of the notes that I, one of the notes I made is, man, Jeff's about to get a nasty headache. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So now he's resting in his room. He says the briefcase isn't here. Crockett and Tubbs tell Pearson that they need that case. Pearson retorts by saying a dead man can't give you what you want. So basically, Pearson is essentially playing hardball, saying he wants a finder's fee. And if they have his back, he'll cut him in on a deal. Pearson gives them a teensy proof that he knows what he has. Crockett and Tubbs discuss this away from Pearson. And then Tubbs says he's going to run the prince off the gun and meet Crockett back at the St. Vitus with Pearson. So at this point, Pearson thinks that they're just drug dealers too. So they're just a a bunch of pushers, just like he thinks that Mendez is. And he just wants his end of the, his, uh, the deal for what he found until we get to the ending. We'll see. So we're at OCB here. Tubbs briefs Castillo that Crockett took Peterson back to the St. Vitus. And he thinks that they should play along with this old man to get what they want. Castillo says, work the deal, work the deal through Rickles. Tubbs says that Crockett wants to know about the guard's family. Or how are they doing? And Castillo says that nobody's claimed the body. If Crockett's head's not in the game, get him off the case. Get him off the case. So anyway, now we're back on a St. Vitus. A quick scene with Crockett and Pearson going over what's going to go down. Essentially, Pearson is still playing hardball as he thinks he's calling the shots. And he wants to see the Bolivian face to face. Meanwhile, at lunch somewhere, Rickles is talking to Mendez saying that the old man wants a finer's fee and Cooper and Burnett are meeting them for lunch and he wants to know what he should tell them. But Mendez just goes, click, hangs up the phone. Being very curt, I'm guessing we are at Mendez's place here now and the one goon is talking to Mendez how to make the deal. Mendez says, no deals, just kill them. This soon goes to some other goon outside and tells him, let's get going. And then there's a montage of them getting some heavy weapons at the ready, out of their cash. Who is it? Goons. Who? Hi, Goons. Goons. <laughs> See, so, all hey. these goons keep coming back to haunt us in this episode. Mark. I, I think this episode's got the most goons in it so far. Uh, I think Marina would agree. <laughs> oh, so, anyway, <laughs> this is kind of like a montage on uh, the streets of uh, Miami um, on Miami and at Mendez's house. We see Crockett and Tubbs. In the miraculously returning spider driving along Miami streets and Pearson's in tow in Tubbs's caddy. He's looking kind of stylish. He's got, I think he's got his hat on there, tops down, looking kind of slick. So anyway, we forward some guys carrying briefcases and satchels out of, we assume Mendez's house, loading it into a van and then back to Crockett and Tubbs and Pearson on street side. They're driving along and all of a sudden the goons and the van pulls up next to the spider the side door of the van opens up and gunfire sues. Crockett and Tubbs, uh, they pull ahead of the van and Pearson's trying to do uh, a pit maneuver, basically, you know, run them off the road, more gunfire. And then the van finally crashes, I think, as it crosses uh, crosses the median into the opposite direction of travel. And the gunman in back, obviously, he's hit. Pretty sure he was killed. And then the driver essentially is still breathing after everyone gets out and checks him. Pearson checks on the driver. He says, still breathing, but shoot him. And Crockett says, forget it. Let him die a slow death. This was I thought that was good... pretty strong. <laughs> yep. And, you know, Pearson kind of sh- 
you know, shows that were showing that he could hold his own. Cut, cut and dry, kill the guy. You know, right. As, as to do this to me, Sonny, kill him. Yep. As Sonny and Rico uh, quickly learn about him. Right. When no, they start no. piecing everything together. Exactly. So. So now we're at lunch and Rickles having lunch or dessert somewhere when Crockett comes up, grabs them and starts laying the beat down on them, saying that he was set up. Rickles still wants to make some sort of a deal, but then Pearson comes up and says there's no deal. He's going to start selling the product on the street. And if he won't get his property back, Tubbs tells him to make another deal happen and essentially kicks them out the door. Gina gives Tubbs info on who the old man is and says he lives in a rat trap. I think it was the Royal Hotel is what it was the name of it. South of Miami. Tubbs says, take him back to the St. Vitus dance. And I'm when she walked up to Pearson again, he said, what, what are they talking about? And she just said, they got some other business they had to take care right. of. You set us up. What are you talking about? That's not me. I don't make hits. I make deals. Make one right now. Okay, just let me breathe. I'm on your side. I want to move those 50 keys as bad as you, but it won't happen unless the Bolivian gets his property back. Well, that ain't hard. The old man's got it. And he wants to make a deal. Well, this finder's fee is a deal breaker. Can't you take it from him? Excuse me, but this is my deal. Now, you tell your boss, if he don't come see me face to face, I'm going to sell his stuff on the street. And there won't be no 50 key deal. Now, you hit the ground running. Speaking like a true cop, huh? So anyway, Switek and Zito are walking along uh, some sidewalks in Miami. And they're looking for a place called the Royal Hotel where Pearson is supposed to be staying. And they find some dude uh, jumping rope on the sidewalk. They ask him, you know, where's the Royal Hotel? The guy's like, here, right here. And I forget, I think Switekers, Zito said something about the hotel. And this guy snidely says that, yeah, this is the hotel here. And right now they're on the sun deck and the hell spa's right here where I'm jumping rope. They want to uh, speak to the manager. So this guy takes him in. He goes around the corner behind the desk. I'm the manager. And I'm noting so far in this episode, I think Switek and Zito are pretty much the most flashy and stylishly dressed with their nice print shirts. Yes. Not not too bold. Definitely not muted like it's been going this episode, this season so far. It's the, the typical Miami Vice style. Zito, Switek, and the manager, they exchanged, you know, snarky remarks back and forth. And, you know, not, nobody was really mean or nothing. It was just the situation. The, asked, um, the manager is asked... I think by Switek, if Pierce never mentioned the Excelsior Hotel, and the manager pretty much retorts by saying, hey, he can't even afford this place. What's he doing over there? Meanwhile, Crockett and Tubbs, they walk into the hotel. Uh, the four of them, obviously, they show the warrant. They go to Pearson's room, and they're checking it out, and they find a whole bunch of mementos, old pictures of Pearson, and uh, I think they found the uh, the satchel. And inside that satchel, they found out that, that he was a Texas Ranger back in the day. And this is where Crockett pretty much tells everyone, you know, hey, the Texas Rangers were some pretty much, you know, badass cops, but, you know, stand up, you know, getting business done type of cops as well. Crockett finds a satchel that's got many personal items, plus this receipt for the gun that Pearson pawned off. Uh, more facts are coming into play here. Crockett is seeming to think that there's more to this Pearson guy than just trying to relive his old days of being a cop. And we'll definitely see soon enough. Check it out. 
This is how he paid for the Excelsior hotel room. He pawned a 1936 Colt Peacemaker this morning. This guy should open a museum. These guys were legends. And now they're cocaine cowboys. Gotta change with the times, I guess. I think that was the only uh, the only speaking that Zito did. Cocaine cowboy. Well, other than when they were they first were walking up to find the right. royal, uh, but it was at this point that Sonny becomes just absolutely enthralled by this guy being a Texas Ranger, and we yeah, he, it, he as 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 this this episode keeps going on, you see that more and more. Hmm. He really look he you know where he's thinking he's just some. Dirtbag dealer, he starts really showing a different level of respect from. Exactly. I was going to say that he's kind of like maybe his thought process was this was kind of a good book type of thing. You know, this guy's got a lot of stories, I'm sure. This guy's got a. Mm-hmm. So now we're at OCB, and Trudy informs Tubbs that the driver of the van rolled that rolled over on his partners before he went into surgery. And Casillo's on the phone ordering protection for the van driver. He then, in a cold tone sort of tells Tubbs take the bill leaving as soon as he services and Tubbs asks about Pearson and Castillo says arrest him for possession walks out of room but I believe they had him on a murder one charge that was a big that was a big reason why he said we're not gonna we're not gonna we're not gonna wait for the make deal. this 50 key deal we're right. taking him now we got enough we got somebody that's rolled on him you know when he walk and when he walks out of the room don't even get even a Castillo a, not even a stare on a Castillo but Castillo no, didn't really care. I thought he was very distant, not not his usual self in looking at, okay, he knows this guy's a Texas Ranger, but yeah, he had some coke on him. You know, Book him for possession. Would, yeah, typically he would work around stuff and see the way out where this guy could still have his respect, you know, even though he's got the coke on him. But this was totally not the same Castillo as every other episode. He was just yep. like, get the believing on the murder one who cares about the deals. Who cares about the drugs? Get Pearson for possession. Boom, boom, boom. Let's let's kill this investigation. So, anyways, at the Saint Vitus dance, Gina and Pearson are discussing things. You know, light conversation, nothing of substance, pretty much. He says that with the uh, flashy boats, the clothes, and the cars they have, pretty much life beat. Talking about Vice here, and she says that they're pretty much just trying to be good losers. And I think he uh, kind of laughed that off. The phone rings. And Pearson grabs it right away, and he says it's Rickles, and then they're going over some sort of plan. Gina asks, what's up? Pearson won't tell him or won't tell her what the plan is. So anyway, Crockett walks up, and he throws down Pearson's old Ranger badge. And then uh, Pearson's like, how'd you get that? You know, still doesn't know that these guys are cops. But I think right now he's kind of formulating just like Vice is formulating. They know who each other are now. Mm-hmm. Not 100% not 100% sure, but I think they both know who each other is. Anyways, they start talking about the good old, he starts talking about the good old days of being a ranger. And then after a uh, after a little bit of this, Crockett says he knows his type and will end up nowhere, basically. Crockett asks him what the plan is with Rickles, and Pearson pretty much tricks him and saying, you know, he wrote it on the notepad over there, you know, like five feet away or so. So Crockett walks away to get the pad. And then Pearson whacks him with the billy club. Boom. Knocked him out. Score two for the billy club in this episode. <laughs> so anyway. A blackjack. Well, yeah. 
Uh, he takes, while <laughs> Crockett is knocked out cold, he takes Crockett's gun and the shot rings out. This was Tubbs watching all this going down. So Pearson pretty much ducks down and then he takes off. And I'm guessing in the, uh, in the scarab. Yes. I, I think it was tied up next to the St. Vitus dance. So he takes mm-hmm. off in that. So now we are back at the Royal Hotel. Pearson goes back in his room. He walks up the stairs and the old confused lady from before says to the hotel clerk, looks like he spilled some paint. The clerk looks at it and starts to walk around the counter. Pearson is in his room putting his badge in an envelope. Uh, The hotel clerk enters the room and asks if everything is okay. He says, yes, he just slipped getting off the bus. Then asks the clerk to mail, or it's really the manager to mail the envelope. Now there's a montage of Pearson getting ready for some sort of battle. And Mendez, his goons loading up some weapons for some sort of a battle. Pearson puts on his own Texas Ranger uniform, but appears as if he leaves his nitro pill case on a dresser. Vice crew busts into his room, obviously long after he's gone. Crockett finds the nitro case on the counter, and right away he knows this is essentially a suicide mission for Pearson, and then they all depart. Gene and Trudy are in his hotel lobby, and they finally put all the pieces together that Wilson from the first scene was Pearson's old partner's son, and I believe his partner was old partner was named Roy, if I remember right, and is here essentially to avenge his death and that Pearson set up the meeting with the Bolivians at the cemetery where his old partner's buried, because I think they remember him saying something about going to, I, I can't remember exactly what it was. Going it to see an old friend. He says he's going, going to see an old friend. Where an old friend was buried. That's right. what it was. Well, no, he didn't say buried. He says, I'm going to see an old friend. Or, I'm going okay. to see a friend or something like that. But this is odd. And even Marina touched on this. You're Texas Rangers. Why are you buried in Miami? Unless he was originally from here, but. I don't know, they they didn't really they didn't really explain that you're a Texas Ranger, but he's <laughs> essentially buried yeah. in Miami. Kind of odd continuity. Bolivian's gone. The meeting's gone. Everything's gone to hell. You're not going too far. Old man lost some blood. Here, he left this with the manager. I must be losing it. This badge belongs to Vince Wilson's father. Please bury him with it. Wilson. He was a narc from San Antonio with a Peterbilt truck. He was working the Bolivian until he showed up dead two months ago. That old man hasn't disappeared. Vince Wilson was his partner's son, and he's gone to shoot it out with the guys that killed him. Where would he set the meat? He said he was going to visit a dead friend. Nope, my mistake. Dead friend, he did say it dead friend so anyway we're at the cemetery here and i believe they've got fog machines going on there was a lot of fog maybe which is kind of odd for miami but still a good point from marina why is a texas ranger being buried there mm-hmm. unless he was originally from there a resident yeah when it just went unexplained mm-hmm. things yep so anyway. we're at the cemetery here um a lying in wait pearson he's already at the cemetery before Mendez and his goons, uh, when a limo pulls up, uh, Crockett and Tubbs pull up pretty much to the perimeter of the cemetery, and then uh, a Metro tr- surveillance truck's already there with Castillo inside it, already calling the shots, which I thought was kind of odd. Usually uh, Castillo comes pulling up by himself, but we'll go with it. He still wants pretty much to get Mendez and doesn't really care about the uh, about Pearson, just get him on the two keys. Crockett says that he's going to go in as Burnett. And as that's pretty much how the deal was always supposed to be from the get-go. Makes sense, doesn't it? 
Castillo finally acquiesces. Okay, yeah, wear he wants Crockett to wear a wire. Whatever, you're you're so distant that at this point, at this point, why wear a wire? But we'll go with that as well. So Pearson, Rickles, and Mendez finally come face to face, along with all the other goons. And then while well, Crockett sees this and pretty much tells everybody, uh, all the cops, pretty much to move in. Mendez and his goons and Pearson and then Crockett, they all start the gunfight at the OK Corral. Uh-huh. Everybody's getting shot up and Crockett and Pearson pretty much after uh, kind of the smoke clears, essentially, they pretty much draw down on each other. Uh, Crockett tells him that he's a cop. And then Pearson says he knew all along, drops his gun, and he died with his eyes wide open. Crockett comes up to him, you know, kind of, I don't want to say caressing in a... <laughs> Sexy way, but he caresses the ranger badge. I think he put it like on his chest or something like that. Or, anyways, but mm-hmm. then he uh, he closes Pearson's Pearson's eyes. One of the things I don't him. remember, Mark, was did Ooh. Rickles get capped? I don't know. I think he may have been remember. shot, but I don't think dead shot. That was the thing. There was just so many ducking behind this and that and everything. We don't know it, if, it, even if Mendez or Rickles was shot. I don't. It know. was truly as quick as the gunfight at the OK Corral. Oh, yeah. I mean, just bip, 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 and now we get to the scene with them, too. Get some. Get some. I'm a cop. I'm a cop. I knew that all along. Okay, check out the ratings for this episode. IMDb gives us an 8.1 out of 10. I think it should be a little bit higher. Tim, what do you think, sir? I, I think so, too, but I definitely agree with the rating of 8.1. And for me, and again, we know people out there had their varying opinions or how they liked or disliked Shadows in the Dark. Oh, but for yeah, me, this is, this is definitely a redemption from our last episode, that review of that episode. You know, Crockett seems to be back on track mentally safe for a brief moment when he becomes guilt-ridden over the death of a security guard. Early in the episode, Willie Nelson was great as retired Texas Ranger Captain Jake Pearson, who plays a mysterious role as a purported drug dealer who stole a couple of keys from Mendez. In reality, you find out he was on a mission to avenge the death of a San Antonio narc, Vince Wilson, who was killed in the opening sequence by Mendez. Vince was the son of Jake's former partner, Roy. Sonny definitely becomes enamored once he found that Jake was a ranger. Zito returns in a limited role, and the entire OCB team was involved in this one. An intense ending to a great episode. Yes, I'd have to agree. A great rebound from Shadow in the Dark, although with an asterisk. Uh, I say that because, obviously, we all see the spider return, which, how does it return after it was blowed up real good in, I think, Irish Eyes are Crying? So, obviously, they recorded in sequence. I think this is actually supposed to be the first episode for the season, but they aired it out of sequence. So here's the spider again. And then with that, so did Zero really return? Good point. I don't know. Continuity, but whatever. We'll go with it, right? So anyway, great story, great characters. Uh, I was thinking that Pearson would have been tied somewhat to Mendez, but the story of him being a ranger to avenge his old partner's death, definite, definite solid story as well. I think it would play off better. Um, all of Vice helped out, but again, Castillo seems disconnected and a tad nonchalant in his handling of things. Get Mendez on the murder one, get Pearson for the two keys, case closed, let's move on. Well, you got 50 keys in play here, right? 
Uh, mm-hmm. why, why don't you play it through to get that? I mean, you always, your job is to get the drugs off the street. You do this, the drugs are still out there, but it is what it is. In the past, Castillo would have been keen to an old cop, essentially, like I said, and wanting to help him out in the slightest way. We didn't see that. Uh, and again, mm-hmm. great style in Zito and Switex print shirts. And uh, Gino, uh, Gina and Trudy, they're always flashy, but not too flashy. I like to call it conservative, sexy there. But again, great episode, great actors, right? great return. And I believe that, you know, he was avenging the death of Vince, who was Roy's son. Mm-hmm. But I think it was also redemption for him, because if you remember, he talked about that when they had that flashback with the probably Mexican drug lords, Roy took a bullet that was meant for uh, Jake. Right. So he died saving Jake's life mm-hmm. in essence. So this was like a all circle back redemption for him. Okay, let's cover the music for this episode. First up, we've got Wanted, Den or Alive. Great, great, great song by Bon Jovi. Uh, that's during the museum stakeout and the deal with Mendez. State of Emergency by Cactus World News. That's when the El Viejo confronts Mendez's goon and the final gunfight between Pearson and Mendez. And Fly on the Windscreen by Depeche Mode. Great, great, great tune. That's when Crockett and Tubbs were getting attacked by the Mendez's goons in the van. Goons, goons, goons. Goons, goons, goons. And now we have some Jan Hammer music that actually gets noted again uh, in this episode. First one is Lombard Trial, which is when Vince Wilson and Switek are standing in front of the Peterbilt truck. Texas Ranger, which was scenes mainly involving Pearson. El Viejo Mix, where Vice searches Pearson's room. And Turning Point, where Crockett and Pearson talk on a St. Vitus and in the ending shootout. So now we move on to the Goofs fun facts and locations. And this fun fact, which explains a lot more about the spider, this episode was originally set to be the season opener, but was held back as it was felt having the Ferrari Daytona blown up in When Irish Eyes Are Crying would make a better start to the third season. Don Johnson also held off for more money at the start of the season three, delaying filming to a point where other commitments for guest star Willie Nelson meant that episode could not be finished in time for the premiere slot. Therefore, this was a major goof as Daytona appeared in this episode. You know, I thought I was going crazy, Mark, when I saw them like, huh? Anyway, it's explained. Exactly. Uh, First girl here, we've got when Crockett and Tubbs are driving on the freeway, uh, a a shot through the windshield shows both of them wearing their shades, their sunglasses. And then in a subsequent shot, just before the van hitmen start shooting, Tubbs' sunglasses disappeared. Magic. Mark, our first location is the Barcelona Hotel, 4343 Collins Avenue, Miami Beach, a.k.a. the Excelsior Hotel. And I just, before we started, did a quick Google map search. It is now a Radisson hotel. Same. Now a Radisson. Same design in front, but it's now a Radisson. And the next location, the Royal Hotel, 758 Washington Avenue, Miami Beach. 
And that was Pearson's apartment. And I think it's now a bar or something like that. I just checked that as well. So now let's go over the trivia portion of this episode. Last episode, we asked, in a scene where Croc and Tubbs first meet Lieutenant Gilmore, what does one spectator shout that is synonymous with police? Take a listen. Acts like we're not going to like this. You won't. These are the people in the neighborhood. Ten of their homes have been hit in the last two months, and now they're reading the riot act. Calls them fuel. We get the fallout. Donuts while you're And this show's trivia question is. When Pearson pawns off his 1936 Colt Peacemaker, he steps outside and looks at the pawn ticket. This one is simple. What's the name of the pawn shop? You can post your answers on this episode's social posts, or you can email us at miamivoice@duck.com. We have arrived at Snurd's Chalkboard of Wisdom, where we hope to inspire, enlighten, or make you snicker a little. In both the world of Miami Vice and our current world at large, we encounter many challenges we work to overcome. In the interest of creating a family-friendly atmosphere, through the show and on our social media, we would like to offer some parting thoughts. A simple quote, phrase, or words of encouragement, or funny quip to you, our listeners. Because without you, our friends, we'd just be talking ourselves. And we say friends because that's what we consider all of you who follow our show and social media to be. This episode's quote is... Welcome to the present moment, here, now, the only moment there ever is, Eckhart Tolle. We encourage everyone listening to be a positive force, not only in your life, but others as well. It's contagious and can make our world a better place. And that's a wrap for today's episode. And the word of the day for this episode is... I prefer the hands-on touch you only get with hired goons. Goons. (laughs) Write that down on the chalkboard. Thank you so much for tuning in and joining us on this review. We hope you find this episode exciting and entertaining. If you enjoyed it, please consider subscribing to the podcast and following us on our social media channels to stay updated. On Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, we are my Vice of Miami podcast. Your support definitely means everything to us. If you got a spare moment, we'd be incredibly grateful if you can leave us a rating and a review on those channels. This helps us reach more listeners and continue producing great content. Thanks again for listening, and we can't wait to share more with you soon. So we'll catch you next time on the Vice of Miami podcast, show 56, covering episode 8, Better Living Through Chemistry. Now, faded punks.